Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Now you may think it a very interesting thing to begin a sermon talking about the thyroid. Some of you got, my, you got your attention right away. I'm not a doctor or claim to be. I don't play one on TV either. I'm just a pastor. But a thyroid, the thyroid is a two-inch-long butterfly-shaped gland in the front of your neck. It controls your metabolism. It's part of the endocrine system, which creates hormones. Now, the thyroid can affect how fast your heart beats, how deep you breathe, whether you gain or lose weight. It also controls your body temperature, your cholesterol, and other things. And if your thyroid is not working properly, it causes some major issues. It can slow down your metabolism. It can cause weight gain. It can cause depression. It can cause you to get sluggish. And here's what's interesting about the thyroid. For thousands of years, doctors and scientists had no idea what this little thing was and how it affected the entire body. It wasn't really until like the 1850s that scientists in Britain began to understand the thyroid. And it really wasn't until after World War I that that major um, advances in the thyroid happened. But think about the thyroid. It's a tiny little gland hidden away in your neck that for years nobody really knew what it did. But it affects some major things in your body. It affects your metabolism. It affects your sleep. It affects all of these things. Something small, something hidden, something that at first seems pretty insignificant, but actually has a major impact on your entire health. If your thyroid is not working correctly, it can cause a lot of problems. Now, why do I bring up the thyroid? Like, this is weird, Pastor Sean. Something small, something hidden, something seemingly insignificant, but in reality has a huge, pervasive impact on your overall health. Jesus is going to tell a parable, two parables, of the kingdom about something small, hidden, insignificant, but has a huge impact spiritually. It helps us understand the Christian life and how God operates. So this morning, we're just going to be in Luke chapter 13, 18 through 21, two short parables. Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nest in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven or yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all 
leavened. Pretty easy to understand. We can go home now. Two parables. These are two parables about the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God like? How does God grow his kingdom? So these are parables about the kingdom. And so we've got to ask an introductory question. What exactly is the kingdom of God? What's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is his rule and his reign wherever that may be found. The kingdom of God can reside in your heart where God rules. It can be in your family. It could be in your church. And eventually it's going to extend to the ends of the earth. It's where God's rule and God's sovereign reign is established. The kingdom of God. Now how did the Jewish people of Jesus' day, how did they expect their Messiah to come? In their expectation, the Messiah would be born in royalty. He would probably be born in Jerusalem. He would then grow up and, and ride into Rome on a white horse and knock the Roman emperor out and establish the kingdom and be this powerful leader. Huge entrance into the world. That's how the Jewish people expected their Messiah to come. But Jesus talks about the kingdom and he uses a mustard seed. Now, if Jesus were smart, he wouldn't have used the mustard seed to talk about the kingdom because everybody knew the mustard seed was one of the small seeds. He should have used the cedar tree because in the Jewish mind, the cedar tree was big and it was powerful and it was symbolic of God's rule and God's reign. Jesus, why didn't you use the cedar tree? Why did you use a minuscule little mustard seed? And why did you talk about yeasts? Jesus purposely uses two very small insignificant minuscule objects a mustard seed and a little bit of yeast leaven to show how God grows his kingdom so that's a question for this morning how does God grow his kingdom notice how I phrased it how does God grow his kingdom not how do we build God's kingdom but how does God grow his kingdom so from this passage of scripture what I want us to do is I want us to explore four truths that these parables reveal to us about how God grows His kingdom. Here's the first. The kingdom of God starts out small and seemingly insignificant. Small, insignificant. That's how it starts. Now, the mustard seed was not actually the smallest seed in Israel, but it was kind of proverbial for the smallest seed. This is really tiny little seed that a farmer goes and plants. And so this tiny little seed represents how the kingdom of God starts out small, minuscule, unassuming, seemingly insignificant, maybe even obscure, not that impressive at first. Think about how things started with Jesus' birth. Rumors of an illegitimate child, a virgin birth. Jesus was born in a manger in a rural town outside of Jerusalem in Bethlehem. Insignificant, small beginnings. No fanfare. No huge banquet. The, the arrival of Jesus was not announced to the kings and to the elite and to the powerful politicians. No, Jesus' birth was announced to some shepherds on a hillside that nobody probably even knew who their names were. Out of the way. Small. Think about the disciples that Jesus chose. Would you have chosen those dudes? 
tax collectors, fishermen, guys that didn't have it all together. And he only chose 12 of them. He didn't choose the power brokers. He didn't choose the the ones the world will look at as popular. He chose 12 seemingly insignificant men. That's how God starts his kingdom. And then think about Jesus' ministry. For three years, everywhere he turned, there's opposition. There's opposition from Pharisees. There's opposition from the Jewish leaders. There's opposition from from Herod. There's opposition ultimately from Pilate himself. There's, There's opposition everywhere. And Jesus doesn't really travel much outside of Israel. He, he, he keeps his impact to a small geographic location. So things with Jesus start out pretty small. Twelve disciples, a small geographic area, born uh, not a lot of fanfare. Things started out really small. And then think about after Jesus' death and after his ascension. How many people are in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? 120. 120 people. That's it. Pretty small. But then what happened? The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and on that day, 3,000 people got saved. What started out small grew. And do you realize by the end of the New Testament, in about 40 to 50 years after the death of Christ, the gospel had permeated to pretty much the known world at that time? Started out small, seemingly insignificant, obscure, but then it grew. And this should bring great encouragement to us because I don't know about you, but we're ordinary average people. I hate to break it to you. We're kind of ordinary people in an ordinary town in an ordinary church. There's nothing really flashy or exciting about your life and there's nothing really flashy and exciting about my life. I don't think there's going to be any documentaries written about your life. Or any movies coming out about your life or about our church? I don't think so. We're pretty average. We're pretty ordinary. But here's the thing. We often long for bigger and better. I want bigger and better. Don't despair and don't get discouraged when you don't see the results or the progress you think are insignificant or you think nobody cares. I came across a passage of Scripture this past week. I think it would be a good thing for us to remind ourselves of. Zechariah 4.10 For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. We are a people that despise the day of small things, don't we? We don't like small things. We like big things. We like flash. We like popularity. What did Paul tell the Corinthians about how God chose them? 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29. Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Paul tells the Corinthians, you weren't all that. God didn't choose you because you're all that. As a matter of fact, you guys were probably lowest of the low. In the world's eyes. A few years ago, a mega church in Dallas decided to bring Hulk Hogan in on a Sunday morning as a gimmick 
to get people to come to the service. Now, I don't deny that God can use athletes and movie stars and powerful people to advance his kingdom, but most of what we see in the Bible is God does things through average, ordinary, out-of-the-way people who are just doing what God's called them to do. People like us. People that are ordinary. Now, men, we're going through the book Ordinary, and some of you don't like that word ordinary. So let me just say, ordinary does not mean mediocre. We'll talk about that tomorrow morning at our men's study. But we're just ordinary people. Now here's the thing. Don't shortchange what God can do through you in your life in this ordinary life that you live. God can do something great through you. Now, when I say great, I don't mean how the world defines great, but how God defines great. Never shortchange what God may be doing in your life right now, right here. Moms, when you change those diapers, God may be doing something great through you and your children. When you just show up at work and you kind of go through the grind, God may be building His kingdom through your faithfulness. God may be doing something great in what you think is small, Seemingly insignificant, out of the way, ordinary. And that's the way the kingdom starts. Small. Through your faithfulness in small things, God is growing His kingdom. So the first thing we see is that God's kingdom grows small. Starts out small. Second thing we see about the kingdom of God. It often grows secretly and internally. It's organic. When you plant that mustard seed into the ground, do you see what's going on under the ground? You can't see the inner workings of nature. It just comes about because it just happens. The little yeast. Notice what Jesus says about the yeast. Verse 21. It's like leaven that woman took and hid. It's hidden. She hid the yeast in the flour. But once you add that yeast to the dough, two things happen. The rising loaf will be inevitable and unstoppable. It will rise. Two things about God's kingdom. God's kingdom is inevitable, and it is unstoppable, whether we know it or not, because God is sovereign. We may not always see what God is doing, doing because he's the one doing it behind the scenes in his kingdom here it says about the leaven the esv says she hid in three measures helps you a lot doesn't it niv says 60 pounds it's basically an entire bushel this would be enough bread it would start out small it would be enough bread to feed 100 people So a small amount of flour with a small amount of yeast would permeate and feed 100 people. God works in out-of-the-way places where you would least expect Him to work. And God works in people you would least expect Him to work. What do we want to often trust in? Gimmicks. Techniques. Things that we can manufacture, slick marketing, our ingenuity. We want to focus on externals. 
We want to focus on things we can control, things we can see, things that we can manufacture. And God's kingdom is often organic and secret, and we can't see how it's working. He's sovereignly in control of everything. Who wants to be in control often? Don't raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. I want to be in control. I want to control the outcome. I want to manufacture the results. I want to be in charge. And God's kingdom says, no, sometimes things are happening that you can't see and you can't control. God's just doing it because he's God. He's sovereign. A few years ago, a prominent Southern Baptist evangelist who will rename nameless had a ministry he called a soul a month club. I'm serious. You could give him $48 a month to his ministry and he would guarantee salvations. If you doubled it to $96 a month, he would guarantee the salvation of a husband and wife. He'd guarantee two salvations. I have a major problem with a preacher that reduces God's work of salvation to you give me money and I can guarantee the results. You can't guarantee those results. God is sovereign over those. And here's the problem. This requires walking by faith, not by sight. What do we want to do? We want to see immediate results that we can control instead of trusting in the sovereignty of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. There's a lot of things in God's kingdom we cannot see, and we're not called to see them. We're called to walk by faith and to trust when we can't see. When you can't see the results, when you can't see God's working, you just walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. How does God's kingdom grow? In ways you can't see, you can't control, you can't manufacture. It's secret. It's sovereign, it's internal, it's organic. Many years ago, I went to an evangelism conference, and one of the main speakers was a man named Steve Shogren. Um, he's the, he, I don't know if he's still the pastor of Vineyard Community Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, but he's known for a lot of like servant evangelism type things, like serving your community. And I went back and I read my journal from that training. And here's something that he said that I think is it's pretty profound. He said this, I wrote it down. Small things done with great love will change the world. Small things done with great love will change the world. He also said this, Big events are not where the impact is, but in the continuous faithfulness and small things, as you keep on loving people repeatedly, small things done with great love will change the world. Don't despise the day of small things. Small things may be done to change the world. And you may not see it. You may not even see it in this lifetime. God's doing it through your faithfulness. Let's look at the third thing. The kingdom of God grows supernaturally. It's God's kingdom. He's going to grow it. You can't control it. You can't build it. God is the one that's in charge of it. Now, it's interesting what the tree and the loaf represent. Because there's a tree that's, the mustard seed grows into a tree. The yeast and the flour grows into a big loaf of bread. What does the big tree and what does the loaf represent? Well, if you go back and you look at your Old Testament imagery, they represent the world. They represent the world. 
the tree with the birds coming and living in the tree is a repeated Old Testament reference to especially the Gentiles coming into the fold. The Gentiles being part of God's plan. You can see this back in the Psalms. You can see it in Ezekiel chapter 17. You can look at it Daniel chapter 4. The images of birds nesting in a tree was a symbol of not just Israel, but the nations, the Gentiles, finding refuge in the one true living God. And so what this parable teaches is that the gospel of the kingdom will reach all nations and be expansive to the ends of the earth. Just like the leaven, the yeast permeates the dough and it grows, and just like this tall mustard, small mustard seed grows into a big tree, the gospel of the kingdom will supernaturally grow and it will reach the nations. A full-grown tree with birds and a risen loaf of bread represent the world dominance of the kingdom of God. It's happening now. But it will culminate on that final day. What starts out as small and insignificant and secret, one day will be the culmination of God's plan for the nations. We read it earlier as we started our service in Revelation 7, 9-10. What's the end vision of heaven? John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb what's started out small what's the envision in heaven a number that nobody can count a massive, huge, millions upon millions of God's people from all tribes and tongues and nations gathered at the throne to worship Jesus. That's the end product. That's the vision. That's how it ends. Right now, it may not seem like that. It may not seem like God's kingdom is advancing. Revelation eleven fifteen tells us what will happen on the final day. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. He's reigning right now. His kingdom's advancing right now. His kingdom's growing right now. But on that day it will be worldwide and he will rule across the entire universe as king. The world will will submit to the king. Now, here's the problem with us. Because the kingdom of God grows supernaturally, we're not in charge of the results. We like to think we're in charge of the results, but we're not. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. If there's going to be any spiritual success, if there's going to be any fruit, if there's going to be anything of substantial eternal significance, it's going to be because God did it. What's our responsibility? To plant, to water, to be faithful. What's God's responsibility? To bring the results, to bring the growth. He's in charge of that. And even we see this in the early church. 
after the day of Pentecost, when those 3,000 were saved, the early church gathered. And they gathered for worship, and they gathered for prayer, and they gathered, they met in each other's homes, and they ate bread together, and they were praying, and they were fellowshipping together. And notice what Acts 2.47 says at the end of that. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who added to their number? The Lord. Who brought the growth? The Lord. Now they were doing the planting and the watering. They were ministering and they were praying and they were fellowshipping. They were doing the things they were supposed to do. But the Lord added to their number. The Lord caused the increase. You know, sometimes we think we can do a lot of programs and flashy things to quote-unquote build God's kingdom. We don't build God's kingdom. God grows his kingdom in the way that God sees fit to grow it. And sometimes what we do week in and week out here at church can frankly seem kind of boring. We do the same thing every week. We come, we sing, we hear sermon, we fellowship. Nothing's happening. We're not seeing astronomical growth. We're not seeing the church burst at the seams. Perhaps another church in town is experiencing great growth and, and everything here is just kind of normal. Not extraordinary. And maybe God is blessing another church. And we praise the Lord for other churches that God is blessing. I will be the first to say, if there's any church in Sterling or Northeastern Colorado that God is blessing and they're faithful to the gospel, amen, praise the Lord, we want to celebrate that. But there could be churches that are compromising on the gospel, and they may be growing in numbers, but they're compromising on the gospel. So numbers don't mean much in the grand scheme of things. We may be good at building our kingdom, but are we submitting to God growing his kingdom? Are we doing kingdom work? What's kingdom work? Let me take the pressure off you. Kingdom work is this. Wherever God has placed you, are you being faithful to plant and to water? It may seem ordinary. It may seem average. It may seem kind of just like nothing's happening. But are you being faithful where God has planted you? In your job, in your family, in your neighborhood, at your school? Are you just faithfully planting and watering and letting God bring the increase in his time, in his way? And then fourth, the kingdom of God often grows gradually. I don't know how long it took for the mustard seed to turn into a tree, but I'm sure it didn't happen overnight. It takes a while for yeast to prove. I know what that word means because I watch baking shows with my wife. You put it in the proving drawer. What do you put, when you put yeast in the proving drawer, what do you, what do you have to do? It, has, it waits a while before it rises. It's got to prove. It's got to grow. What do we want? We want instantaneous growth. Now, sometimes God does that, like at Pentecost when 3,000 people get saved, and, and that's awesome, but the normal way oftentimes is that God does it slowly, and so this requires patience on our part, because what do we want to see in our own personal lives? We want quick fixes and easy steps to rapid growth. I can't tell you how many times I get advertisements on Facebook, I get something in my inbox, I get something in the mail from the, ch- from the church, at the church, that's something like this. If you follow these steps, your church will grow to a thousand people in three weeks. Okay, thank you. We want immediate, fast growth. Think about your Christian experience. When God saved you, he planted the seed of faith in your heart. And then you began to grow. And I'm sure this never happens to you, but you take two steps forward and five steps backwards, right? 
your growth is kind of painful. It's kind of slow. You look at yourself and say, I don't think I'm making any progress in the Christian life. Listen to the promise of Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God began that good work in you. He's going to carry it through. It may be slow. It may be gradual. But we need to remain steadfast. 1 Corinthians 15, 57-58. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, because we have the victory through Jesus Christ, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Stay steadfast in that labor. Remain steadfast. Be patient. You may not see the results. You may not see the big stuff, but just be faithful. We want quick fixes, but God says just be faithful. You know, Don and I enjoy hiking. We don't do it as much as we did when we were younger, but a few years ago we decided to climb a 14er. For those of you watching on Facebook that are out of state, a 14er is a mountain that's 14,000 feet high like in Colorado. So we decided to go to Gray's Peak and hike Gray's Peak. And it was somewhat of a relatively easy climb. And so um, what was really kind of discouraging was there's this one guy that went up and came down and went up and came down while we were still like halfway up. I'm like, haven't we seen this guy go up and down twice? (laughs) So we're like, we get up there and there's peaks and valleys. And like the the last minute, we're like every 15 minutes, we got to stop and catch our breath. And so it's kind of a picture of the Christian life. The Christian life is, is, is a trek up a mountain. It's slow, it's winding, you got to stop and take a rest. Sometimes you, you make fast growth, sometimes you get down the valley where you can... What would, you, what would be great if Don and I... What, this was what we should have done. I should have turned it on and said, you know what, this would have been really great. I should have hired a helicopter, and it could have catapulted us in and landed us on the mountaintop, and we wouldn't have to do any of this work. We could have gotten to the top of the mountain in a helicopter and not have to do any of this work. Now, that would be great, right? How many of us want our Christian lives to be like that? God, just plop the helicopter, just get me to the end in the helicopter. I don't want to have to go through all this stuff. But you have to go through all that stuff. The Christian life is full of adventure. It's full of struggle. It's full of heartache. The Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. The Christian life is a fight. Patience slow. We read this earlier, Hebrews 12, 1, therefore since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Because God's kingdom grows gradually and slowly, we lose patience and we want immediate results but we need to run with endurance. Run the race. Fight the good fight. So how does God grow his kingdom? Well, it starts out small and seemingly insignificant. It grows secretly and internally. It grows supernaturally. God's in charge of it. And it grows gradually, sometimes slower than what we want. Now, there's a danger. We here at Emmanuel believe in God's absolute sovereignty. and We know God's in control and, and God brings the increase and God is sovereign and God does it all. So that means we just sit back and do nothing, right? We just throw up our hands and say, well, God, if you're going to work it all out, we'll just sit back and let you do your thing. We won't do anything. We'll be lazy. We'll do nothing. After all, God's got it all worked out. No. 
That's not what we do. Because God is sovereign in growing his kingdom, here's the beautiful thing about it. He uses us to bring it about. And it should cause us to do some things in our lives. So let me suggest some practical application of what we should do as we wait upon God to grow his kingdom. We can't grow the kingdom. God grows the kingdom. But what do we do as we wait upon the Lord to do that? What should it drive us to do? This should drive us to pray more fervently. To pray more fervently. If you trace the early church in Acts, you'll notice one dominant theme. They devoted themselves to prayer. That word devoted means they constantly, continually, it was their heartbeat, it was their passion. The, the first like almost six chapters of Acts, over and over again, they devoted themselves to prayer. Acts 1.14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves to the prayers. Acts 6.4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What's the Lord's prayer? Thy kingdom come. Are you praying for that? If God grows his kingdom, what should we be praying? Lord, grow your kingdom. Lord, your kingdom come. Lord, we want your kingdom to come. We want the advance of the kingdom. We want the growth of your kingdom. We want you to do the work of the kingdom. So, Lord, we're going to pray like crazy that it happens. We're going to pray fervently. We're not going to be fatalistic and say whatever is, is, is. We're going to pray fervently. This should also drive us to witness more boldly. Listen to how Paul prayed in Ephesians 6, 19 through 20. Pray also for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Do you realize God grows his kingdom through your boldness? You're responsible for opening your mouth and sharing the gospel. God's responsible for the results. But do you think you're going to get results if you never open your mouth? Yes, God grows his kingdom, but how does God do it? Through our witnessing, through our sharing, through our boldness, through our testimony, through our witness. So this should drive us to witness more boldly. This also should drive us to serve more intentionally. To serve. The yeast was a change agent in that dough. The dough would not rise without the yeast. You and I are the change agents God's given to grow his kingdom. When you serve, God is growing his kingdom through your serving. And how do you serve more intentionally? Let me just give you a few one another passages. 1 John 4.11 Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. How does God grow his kingdom when we love one another? Romans 15, 7, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. How does God grow his kingdom when we welcome one another, when we serve one another? Galatians 6, 2, Bear one another's burdens so to fulfill the law of Christ. How does God grow his kingdom when we bear each other's burdens? And then Hebrews chapter 3, 13, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sins. 
When you exhort and encourage one another, God grows his kingdom. When you serve one another intentionally, God is growing his kingdom. And you're like the yeast. You're the change agent that brings about that growth. This should drive us to invest more sacrificially in the kingdom. To invest more sacrificially in the kingdom. We saw this a few weeks ago in Luke 12, 34. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is more than just talking about financial giving. This means that if God is king of the kingdom and God is growing his kingdom, then why would you not want to invest in kingdom work? Why would you not want to invest your entire life in things that grow the kingdom? Sacrificially. Your life is a living sacrifice, as Paul says in Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Would we give ourselves to the Lord as sacrifices, as instruments for Him to grow His kingdom? 1 Thessalonians 2.8, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves, because you'd become very dear to us. Are you willing to invest your very self with others for the sake of the kingdom? Are you investing in things that will last forever? Are you investing in the kingdom? God is sovereign. God is faithful. God grows his kingdom. How does he do this? He grows his kingdom when he rules and reigns in our hearts. When he rules and reigns in your families. When he rules and reigns in our church. And ultimately when he rules and reigns in a nation and an entire world. And sometimes God's kingdom looks like there's nothing going on. What's going on, God? I don't see anything. It seems so small, it seems so insignificant, it seems so ordinary, it seems just like there's nothing happening. And what happens to us when we see that? God, I think I want to help you along here. Let me move things along, God, because I can't see the results. And so, So God, let me help you. I've got a plan. I've got an idea. I've got some ingenuity, God. I don't see the results I want to see, so let me help you along, God. Let me kind of build the kingdom for you. No, the kingdom of God is secret. It's supernatural. It's slow. And this bothers us because we want to be in control. You see, we want to see immediate results. We are people that want to see things. We want tangible results. I got to see it. We also want to control the outcome. I want to be in control. And we want to manufacture the results. Instead of relying on a sovereign God who knows exactly what he's doing. So as we think about how God grows the kingdom, we need to sit back and praise the Lord that Jesus is king, not us. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. He's growing his kingdom. And he's growing his kingdom exactly the way that he sovereignly is growing his kingdom. But here's the beautiful thing about it. He's using us as we plant as we water, as we love, as we share, as we pray, as we serve. He's using us to grow the kingdom. That's God's way of doing things. So let's submit ourselves to the king of the kingdom 
And when God grows his kingdom, he will get all the praise. And we will bow in humble adoration before our king that we played a small part in what he's doing throughout the world. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. And let's just spend some time in prayer. Maybe God's calling you to pray more fervently. Maybe God's calling you to witness more boldly. Maybe God's calling you to serve more intentionally. Maybe God's calling you to sacrifice more or invest more sacrificially. Whatever God's calling you to do this morning, would you respond to him as we spend some time in silent prayer? so thankful that you are growing your kingdom. It's not our kingdom, and we have no authority to grow or do anything in it. We're called to just be obedient with what you've called us to do and to plant and to water, to love, to pray, to witness, to invest, to encourage, to be faithful, to be enduring, and you grow your kingdom. So, Lord, please forgive us for those times that we don't walk by faith and we want to walk by sight. When we doubt you, when we're not seeing things happen the way we want to, we doubt you, we, we begin to fret or fear or try to take control, we begin to want to be the ones in charge. Lord, please forgive us for that. Help us to submit to your leadership as the king. Help us to understand your sovereignty. Help us to understand your kingdom. Thank you that you use us as change agents in your kingdom. Lord, a lot of us feel like a little minuscule mustard seed. A lot of us feel like a little piece of yeast that we're not significant. We don't really do anything. We're not that important. But Lord, where you've placed us in our families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs... We may be small and insignificant, but Lord, we're the change agents you've used to bring about your kingdom. And Lord, it's not to draw attention to ourselves, it's so that you would get the glory and that your kingdom would grow. So Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be patient. Help us to be dependent. And thank you, Jesus, that at the very end of the age, the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdoms of our Lord and God, and you will reign forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth with all tribes, tongues, and people gathered together at the throne. A number that no man can count. What started out small has become something massive in eternity. Thank you, Jesus. We honor you. We praise you. Help us to go out this day with encouragement that you're growing your kingdom and we're just a small part of that. And we submit ourselves to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.